welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the Show. It discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it is 2023. Yes, start of a new year. New year, new me. Yeah. Yeah, what better way to start it than with our first ever Japanuary. Yeah. An entire month dedicated. About fucking time. An entire month dedicated to discussing Japanese cult and horror films. And Friday the 13th, because I will continue making that joke, because I can't believe Friday the 13th fell on this month. How inconvenient. Next week, everyone. And then that'll be out of the way, then I'll stop making that joke. Um, so, we've still got another two episodes to go. Ugh, great. This one and the next one. And what better way to kick off January and to kick off the year? This is the first film of the year that we watched. And you know what? I, I kind of had this in mind from the moment I chose it, because... This is a film I always wanted to discuss on the podcast, but I thought, you know what, we're going to do Japanuary eventually, and here we are. We are, of course, discussing House, or Haozu, as it's also known, from 1977. Yes, yeah, one, a great choice, Gary, and it's always been in the back of my mind for a choice. Uh, love the film, one of my favourites, I think it incorporates so much of what's fantastic about Japanese cinema, so it's perfect for Japanuary. Props to you, Mama, because you made a great choice. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, I do say so myself. Um, yeah, it's one of my favourite films of all time, and it's just unapologetically weird, camp, just everything. It's, it's genuinely a perfect film, and it has everything in it that we just love about films in general. But again, it is the, uh, it is the sort of film that you could only get away with making in Asian cinema. Yes, yeah, it is very very japanese well, and it, it's very eccentric in the way that particularly japanese but asian cinema is very eccentric yeah. but it works which is hilarious because it was actually made as a reaction to the success of jaws and toho the studio wanted a film similar to jaws so this is a jaws mockbuster technically yeah you can see i mean yes just like jaws yeah um <laughs> what toho didn't get was a jaws star <laughs> film um, a lot of Jaws is uh, a lot of what's great about Jaws is derived from the, the simple nature of you know a lot of it and uh, yeah this is this is none of none of the sort no, no not no. even close this I would say this more than any film encapsulates so much of my taste level yeah so much of what I enjoy about film uh huh this is the kind of film I would say, if you want to understand my taste mm -hmm. in cinema, watch House. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you don't get it, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to shame you or anything, but we're not on the same sort of level. Yeah. And what, what gets me is, is the whole, with the Jaws comparison is that the fact that they started off making this to be like another film is crazy because this is genuinely one of the most original films I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. They, you yeah. can't pick any sort of influences out of this and say this is what this is taken from. This is what this is taken from. You can, you can't tell. No, and you can't recreate. No. If no. I, if you tried to do a remake of this in the West, mm -hmm. a Western remake, um, as we always love <laughs> to see. Um, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be have the heart. It wouldn't no. have any of what makes this so great. No. 
So this is directed by uh, Nobuhiku Abayashi, who is prolific uh, when it comes to Japanese cinema. He has directed Labyrinth of Cinema, Hanagatami, Turning Point, Seven Weeks, The Little Girl Who Conquered Time, The Visitor in the Eye, Tenkosi, and lots more. Yeah, I feel like this is his biggest film in the West. Yeah. Um, by all accounts, it wasn't a huge success at the time. Well, I mean, yeah. It, despite achieving... It, it did have some unexpected commercial and critical success upon release in Japan. Mm. Um, but the film was rarely seen in America until 2009. Mm. Uh, it did appear in a DVD collection, and then American audiences began to start showing it at certain screenings and such... Uh, like midnight screenings and what have you. And it's since obviously became a massive cult film. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, in the Criterion collection as well. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It? Eureka um, Masters of Cinema as well. But I feel like uh, I, I can't speak from a um, Japanese perspective, but I don't feel like this is his biggest. Uh, this is his biggest film here. Yeah. But I don't think in Japan this was his biggest film no i f actually feel like his biggest film is quite recently um i believe it was in the 2010s i think it was made the um hanagatami mm. which is part of his uh, anti-war trilogy i feel like that's like a combination of like everything he's ever made and yeah that seems to be his big one yeah he must he must have been producing successes or he wouldn't have been as prolific as he was yeah this is the only one for a long time that i was ever aware of of his film yeah but we've recently I think we've recently purchased a, a Blu-ray box set. I've got two of them. His later works. Yeah. Um, so it would be fantastic to discover those. Yeah. This is written by Chiho Katsura, who wrote Ashita, The Passage to Japan, Orgasm, Mariko, Flower and Snake, Sketch of Hal, Outer Sister's Diary, Zoom Up, The Beaver Book Girl, Overly Ripe Breasts, Married Women, <sighs> and more. So yeah, written by someone who mostly just made uh, erotic dramas in Japan. Um, now some of the scenes make sense. Yeah. And, and also, um, Nobuhiku Abayashi, he also only made like commercials before this. Uh, yes. And that very much shows. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that. Um, it's co-written by Shigumi Obayashi, who's who was at the time the director's 10-year-old daughter. Uh, only film she's wrote. She plays the shoe store girl in the film, uh, and she based it on a fear she had that her mirror would eat her. Yeah, so she's credited with the story. Yeah. So I feel like this is very much written from the perspective of a, a, a child. You know, it's yeah. very childlike, quite childish. The characters are very childish. And I think that's what makes it so unique is that it kind of, it kind of looks like a children's film to begin with. Like mm. the, you know, the, the way the characters talk and just the whole layout of it and everything. Um, so when the horror does kick in, you know, it's quite jarring. I, I, actually, Toho were unsure how to approach the film and considered releasing it as part of their Toho Champion Festival, which is a seasonal matinee festival aimed at children. Could this be considered maybe a little bit of gateway horror? I, I don't it's know. It's too weird. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's too out there. It, yeah, and the horror can be quite extreme at it times. It can be, but it's playfully sort of 
one, and I'm going to say it now, one thing that's going to be difficult during this podcast episode is to really convey the visuals. Yeah. And a huge part of the film is the visuals. Yeah, yeah. What makes it so unique and so wonderful is those, is the visual aspects, it's the aesthetics. And obviously, it's a podcast, you can't see us. So we're going to try and convey, but it's definitely one of those films that has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, I, I would definitely, before we get into the film itself, I would strongly consider, I strongly consider, I strongly advise uh, that you go and check this out Yeah, before before we talk about it, because yeah, it, it is one of those films that is a must watch. And uh, I mean, as the whole visuals and, and not visuals, you know, the whole thing is, it, we we're going to try our best, but it's going to be hard to do it justice. Absolutely. We're, we're good, but we're not that good. <laughs> uh, it was made on an unknown budget, but it, in the US, when it was initially released, it made $209,700. So okay. Definitely not a success. I'm assuming that's sure. in 2009, because uh, it didn't reach the West until 2009. Well, I'm not sure, because that's, I mean, that's what it says on IMDb, so I'm okay. not sure what release that's from. Mm. Um, but before we get on to finding out who's in the film, the director, uh, shortly after the film's release, proposed a story for what would have been the 16th Godzilla film. And I'm sure you're wanting to know how that would have gone down. Yes, please. Uh, it would have used the same crew as this film. Right. With Go Diego once again providing the soundtrack. No, I'm sold already. The story told of a little girl named Momo who discovers the dead body of Godzilla. Oh no. After being dissected, Godzilla is revealed to be a pregnant female alien named Roseanne. <gasps> Roseanne? R-O-Z-A-N. Uh, who died of diabetes. Oh no! The brain of the dead Roseanne instructs the humans that she must return her unborn son to the planet of Godzilla so her body is converted into a spaceship. The newborn child would be reunited with its father and they would have a f and they would have fought a female monster that shot fire from her breasts. Right. Ultimately, uh, the project was discarded by Toho, unfortunately, and was instead released as a short story in the Japanese edition of Starlog magazine. The artwork was by future Akira director, uh, Katashiro Otomo. Wow. And the story listed credits as if it were a feature film with Obayashi as the director. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd love to get my hands on that. I, that I, sounds great. It's never too late to make that into a feature-length film. Please. Please if anyone's listening. Just do it. We'll have to do it ourselves. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. That's like the best Godzilla film ever made. <laughs> But yeah, sadly that didn't happen, but no. it is out there somewhere if you want to read the short story. Um, but for now, should we find out who's in this film? In a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. Okay, you're going to learn that in Japanese by the end of the month. I will, I will try. I will try. For the Friday the 13th episode. Um, I, might, I might do, keep you on your toes. So fun fact, none of the seven young actresses who portrayed a group of friends who visit the house uh, was a trained film actress at all. The young ladies were all models who had worked with um, Obayashi in his advertisements or commercials. Right. So I don't have all of the main girls down. No. Because um, some of them were literally just in this. Yeah. Um, but Kimiko Ikigami plays a character with two names. Would you like to explain? Yeah, we'll get it out there now. The sort of main girl of the group um, in the version that we watched... Um, from Eureka, um, Mas uh, Masters of Cinema, 
was referred to as Angel. Now, nowhere else, anywhere that I can find, is she referred to as Angel, apart from in this version that we watched. Um, we call her Gorgeous, because everywhere else she's called Gorgeous. So it's either Angel or Gorgeous. Yeah. Pretty much means the same thing. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the her her name I didn't get down her name. Excuse me, uh, her Japanese name, but that translates to gorgeous. Yeah, or um, a variant of gorgeous rather than angel, which is a completely different word in Japanese. Yeah, so she was in uh, Chaos of Flowers, uh, Yakiro, Mix, The Women of SRI, Kesho, The Man Who Stole the Sun, and more. Uh, again. You know, not exactly the most prolific career. Uh, the same can be said for uh, Miki Jimbo, who plays Kung Fu. He was in Yoba, Bakuso, Doberman Decker, uh, Exam Hal, Keiji Monogatari, part four. Oh? Mandaya no Ryota, Rikon Shinai Ona, uh, and more. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of... I mean, we've not heard of any of these films. <laughs> no, no. We might have to investigate, though. Some of them sound interesting. Yeah, and of course, they're all after House as well. So, uh, Also, Kamiko Oba as Fantasy was in 99.9 Criminal Lawyer, Around 40, Cosmic Baton Girl, Comet San, Anko, Tales of the Bazaar, Village of Doom, etc., etc. And uh, I'm someone who... Slightly more, ever so slightly more prolific, prolific is uh, Kyoko Suji, who plays a grandmother. Uh, she Nope, she plays a grandmother. Why is auntie prolific as well? Oh, grandmother in the flashbacks. Yes. Yeah. I think auntie was fairly... I'm sorry, excuse, excuse well, me. Well, grandmother was in Chushingura, Jigoku, Akami, The Man Who Left His Will on Film, Tara-san, Our Lovable Tramp. Scattered Clouds, Lord and Pickpocket, and more. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, I think she was probably the most prolific out of everyone playing the... Uh... Well, if we're being completely honest, the one who was the most prolific is a guy that worked at the ramen shop. Oh. Because he was in, like, Kurosawa films, he was in Godzilla vs. King Kong... But he's a guy who works in a ramen shop, so I didn't include him in the section. That's going to be little bit parts as well, though, isn't it, really? With all due respect yeah. to him. If he's going to take a bit part in this. Yeah, Aunt, Auntie was in a few films from the 60s. Um, but none of them are really um, of note, I don't think. With all due respect. So there you go. Oh, hey, I know you section of sweet. We don't know anyone. <laughs> you don't. But we should get to know them, and we will do that for the future. And um, finally, the Japanese <laughs> rock band Go Diego, as well as providing the soundtrack for the film, also have a brief cameo as the men who flirt with the girls at the Tokyo station. Mm-hmm. And one of them's wearing their own, t their own band t-shirt. There we go. Pays to advertise. So, let's get to our first feature presentation of 2023. <laughs> Introduced to the film with Toho Presents, a movie. <laughs> Great. Good. Put the right disc in. House. 
House. Yeah, I love the way he says house. Yes. That's how it should always be pronounced. House. In Tokyo, a young girl known as Gorgeous, so-called for her beauty, has plans for a summer vacation with her widowed father, a wealthy film composer who has been away in Italy on business. And we're first introduced to her having a photo shoot by some candles. Yeah, which I thought was a Bunsen burner. First, <laughs> but by some candles. Um, yeah, it was a weird photography, sort of black and white. Not sure what they were going for. I know what they were going for. Ooh, I mean, she wanted to know why her friend Fantasy was uh, staring at her whilst taking the pictures. And uh, Fantasy says, you look like a witch from some horror movie. There we go. A little bit of... Uh... I think that's... I assume that's what they were going for. Yeah, what were they... What's the word I'm looking for? Exposition? No. Um, for when something's good about to happen. Preempting. Preempting, thank you. A gorgeous and fancy go for a high camp walk down some stairs before sharing a hug and almost kiss together before parting ways for the day. Now, lesbian couple set up. Kind of um, look like it. I, I, it's, it's a strange one because I feel like in Western cinema that would be quite odd. Mm. Two young girls sort of acting that way. But I think it's kind of in keeping with... The sort of schoolgirl Japanese is it ka ka kawaii? You'd think so. Cute sort of schoolgirl. Yeah, you'd think so. But also later on in the film, Gorgeous does offer fantasy to have a bath with her. Yeah, and that's also, true. I mean, spoiler alert: not a lot of people survived this film. Um, but Fantasy dies because she's so desperate to get back to Gorgeous. Yeah, she does die with her head next to Gorgeous's breast. Yeah. I kind of feel like there's something, a little unspoken maybe, thing Maybe, maybe. Well, it was 1977, so the... unspoken. And when she, when she leaves to go home, Fantasy kind of sees her in red as she leaves, so it kind of like the... Because the cinematography is very talented in this film. Mm. I mean, it, it is overbearing. And I mean it in the nicest way possible. It looks fantastic. But when they're together, it does like a shape around them. And it's like a green filter. But then when she goes away, it turns red. And the soundtrack kind of changes a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. They are kind of the only ones that have this moment together. Yeah. Uh, separate from the rest of the group. Um, Before the... the... They uh, have their hug. Uh, someone else do I think maybe a lesbian? <laughs> their gym teacher. Yes. Um, they pester their, the gym teacher on whether she will be getting married over the summer. <clears throat> she will be getting married, but it's an arranged marriage, which yes. the girls seem very happy with, but the teacher isn't 100% convinced. No. So I don't know if we're projecting here, but I'm, I'm getting some queer coding yeah. right now. Yeah, it definitely, uh, it definitely seems that way to me. Um, the teacher was given big lesbian energy, and I'm absolutely here for it. Well, it's it's um, what was it in Clueless, like uh, in keeping with gym teachers, she's uh, yeah, same sex, <laughs> something like that. You know what? You know the quote I, I'm I talking know, about. I know about. Uh, Julie Brown. Yeah. Uh, Gorgeous goes home to find her father's back, and he surprises her by announcing he's married a woman named Ryoko Ima. Now. Now. Ryoka. I, again, it's difficult to put this film into words. 
but she melodramatically enters the scene in full Kate Bush attire with fans surrounding her, blowing her beautiful gown and her hair. It is absolutely something straight out of a commercial. <laughs> it is. This is where you can see his history as a, a commercial. And if you see some of his commercials as well, there are there are on they are on YouTube. Uh very similar aesthetic yeah. to this. I mean, it's giving Beyonce a run for her money in terms of fans and being windswept. Yeah. Um she's absolutely serving. She's drop dead gorgeous. Just yeah. Stunning. No, yeah. no notes. If anyone wants to edit the scene with heated by Beyonce over the top, that'd be lovely. Yeah, she's she's a true beauty. She is. And uh I mean Gorgeous has no problem telling her that. She's you're very beautiful. To which she replies, Thanks. You have a pretty laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the father is absolutely chuffed to bits with it. I mean, as he should be. He's like, unexpectedly, she's a terrific cook and you don't have to tie my buttons for me anymore. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> Um, one thing that this film isn't necessarily as progressive so, oh. in terms of um, sort of women's place in society. The weird thing is, though, I think the rest of it has aged so well to the point that this kind of, and I know this definitely probably wasn't the intention, but it kind of comes across as satire now. It yes. looks like a parody of yeah. how people, you know, thought women were back then. I assume that wasn't intentional at the time. I mean, if it was, then that's off to you. But I, I don't think it was. But spoiler alert, the whole film and the horror of the film is based around somebody not getting married. Oh, yeah. A woman <laughs> not getting married. I have a lot to say about that later. <laughs> so this is, it kind of, it, it, it does read as satire now, but I don't think it was the intention. No. And she can cook too. Look how gorgeous <laughs> she is. And she can tie my buttons. So my daughter doesn't have to anymore because I'm a man and I don't have to tie buttons. Thankfully, there's actually not a lot of male characters in the film. Thank God. Um, and probably why I love it so much. And the male characters we do get in the film barely get any screen time. And they're <laughs> fools. Foolish. Yeah. Um, gorgeous is distraught. You know, she really loved tying those buttons. Absolutely fuming. So she goes to her bedroom and has a camp transition into a new outfit. She does. Uh, and she tells a picture of her dead mum, how disappointed she is of her dad. Crosses over her dad's face in some family pictures. And writes a letter to her aunt asking to come visit for the summer instead of uh, going away with her dad. Yeah, so this is what I was talking about earlier, the sort of immaturity yeah. of the characters, particularly gorgeous. Because, you know, again, spoiler alert, her immaturity is what causes all of this. Yeah. Like her being pig-headed mm -hmm. and not going away with her father her reaction to her father getting married again. Yeah. That's what causes all of this. Like, yeah. All the deaths are her fault. Yeah. Really. Um, we're introduced to Gorgeous's six friends. Uh, now, you know, this is two decades before Spice Girls, may I remind you. It is. Um, also, I, I love how, you know, in films, you have so many stereotypes in that. In this film, they just waste no time trying to set up these stereotypes because they're named after their stereotypes. Yes. Uh, it's all very self-explanatory. Kind of. But Apart from one. Which... <laughs> prof. Prof uh, is highly academic and very good at problem solving. She wears glasses. Of course. Of course. Melody uh, is a great musician. She loves music. Yeah. Kung Fu who is athletic and especially skilled at Kung Fu. Yeah, a bit manly though, isn't she? Well, yeah. Mac, uh, who has a big appetite. 
Yeah. Sweet, who is bubbly and gentle. Yeah. And Fantasy, who is a constant daydreamer. Which one are you confused about? Mac. Well, because Big Mac. Oh, that, seriously? Oh, seriously? Oh, okay. The Big Mac was around in 1977. <laughs> I, was, I, was getting, I was like, mac and cheese? Was like... Uh, maybe mac and cheese. It's maybe. one of the two. Okay. It's one of the two. I get it. Um, but yeah, her, her, her stereotypes that she likes to eat, and they never let her forget it. This is, in a weird way, if this was film was later, I would think it was a parody of slasher films. Yeah. You know... A, people playing Absolutely. and just naming them after it yeah i, I think it, it, it for me personally i think it plays out a little like a slasher film it does it does um and this is the closest i've seen to a japanese slasher film evil dead trap apart from evil dead trap yeah, yeah. true um just in case you're wondering big mac here of origin was 1967 and yes there is a big mac museum there we go where come where Come on, seriously? And of course, it's America. Where in America? Somewhere in America. <laughs> America's a big country. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it does give slasher energy. Um, again, something that's just got better with time because this looks like it's parody in films that are released years after it was made. It's true. Which is ridiculous. It's true. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do wonder how influential this film was on other people. I mean, My Chemical Romance absolutely ripped off the theme song for Welcome <laughs> to the Black Parade. Stop. Um, and that's not even that unrealistic. We all know Gerard Way is a big nerd, and the, the theme song is when you slow it down, which a character does in this film. It's Welcome to the Black Parade. It does look. It does sound like it. That is very true. All the girls are having a chat about how dreamy Mister Togo is. Yes, some great dialogue from this scene. Uh, one of them says he's so dreamy and handsome. Kung Fu says, "Hey, you think he's manly?" She then jumps up and smacks a football midair. To which someone says, "Nice shot, Kung Fu. You're more manly than Mr. Togo." Mr. Mr. I that is almost scene for scene from something from Spice World. Yeah, I'm not even joking. Mel C, I swear, she is her character from Kung Fu. Yeah, Mr. Kisuke, Mr. Kisuke Togo. His name's the only nice thing about him. Listen, I hope Mr. Togo's sister's a good cook. <laughs> Yeah, so the idea is that meant to be going to on a school class trip, camping trip, a camping trip with Mister Togo and his sister. Apparently, the sister, yeah, it just it don't, didn't sound very good. It, no, it's a little sketchy. It's, it's very sketchy, especially with how he arrives. He arrives in his big fancy car. He's got fierce fucking sideburns. You know. Untouchable sideburns from Mr. Togo. Oh, I don't know. They're overwhelming sideburns. Yeah, that's what I the girls like about him so much. Apparently. Uh, he announces the camping trip's not going ahead because his sister's pregnant. What? That's not a fucking excuse. Harry. What? Why can't she go camping? She's pregnant. Yeah, he's only just found out. She's only just found out she's pregnant. No, maybe... She... <laughs> maybe she's one of these uh, TLCs I didn't know I was pregnant <laughs> with uh, Gore just decides, you know, fuck that then. We're not having a summer of not doing anything. And she invites them all to her aunt's house. Yes. And uh, auntie replies. And says, yeah, more she the merrier. Does. Come on, ladies. A white cat called Snowy randomly appears in Gorgeous's room. Yes. The cat now belongs to Gorgeous. She's decided. Yeah. So th this is later revealed to be Snowy slash 
Blanche. Blanche. <laughs> and I will be referring to the cat as Blanche. As a, as a golden girl stan, this cat will be called Blanche from now on. Um, yeah, it's also sat on the letterbox when Auntie's reply arrives. Mm-hmm. And it's later revealed it is the cat belongs to the Auntie. Um, never questioned why no. the cat appears. <laughs> how the cat has travelled. Because they get a train, a bus, and walk for a very long time to get yeah. to Auntie's mansion. So how the cat got to Gorgeous beforehand, who knows? <laughs> no, we're not going to assess logic in this film. It's no. out the window. But I will give a little backstory on cats in Japanese culture. Because they're a huge part of Japanese culture, as we all know. Hello Kitty, and, you know, through a lot of folklore, cats are very prominent. And in literature, theatre, and film mm-hmm. as well. So cats can represent protection, fortune, and good luck. But also, as is the case here, I believe, they can represent death and foreshadowing for the viewer or reader. Um, It's in keeping with the idea of, please excuse my pronunciation here, Kabayo, which means strange cat. And that's supernatural cats within Japanese folklore. And I think more specifically, the uh, Bakaneko, which has changed cat. And that's seen as a, a yokai. Mm-hmm. So like the yokai monsters. And uh, it appears in legends in various parts of Japan. Its characteristics and abilities vary from being able to shapeshift into human form, speak human words, curse or possess humans and manipulate dead people. Um can also include wearing a towel or napkin on its head and dancing, <laughs> which unfortunately wasn't in no, the No, it could have been. I mean, it wouldn't have been out of place. But it could have been. So it's there are moments where this idea of the Bakaneko cat comes into play. Yeah. Um, the ghost and slash supernatural cat subgenre was most popular in pre-World War II Japanese cinema but has been seen many times since. Obviously, within this film, yeah. the cat is a huge presence. Uh-huh. But my particular favourite, and it's not my, if you enjoyed this, watch this, but one of my favourites is 1968's Kuraneko. Mm-hmm. Um, with its tagline, Beware the haunted women who lurk in the bamboo forest as black cats craving the blood of samurai. That takes the idea way more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was sort of very interesting because obviously we've watched this film previously and the cat's there and I never really thought about what the cat meant. No. Necessarily. I mean, it's it's kind of explained, but not fully. So uh, I thought it was interesting to, to learn of the history of cats yeah, in, in Japanese, you know, folklore mm-hmm. and, and cinematic history and the, the idea of cats being quite supernatural yeah you know a a lot of the time they thought they were yokai monsters because their fur is quite static Mm -hmm. um because of their eyes which is a huge part of this film the cat's eyes yeah and um they're known to to, to sort of lick blood and search and yeah it's just a really fascinating topic it is it is uh, so yet yeah, Gorgeous' aunt replies and says they could all go and visit her at her, at her house for the summer. Yes. Mr. Togo uh, is starting his day to the song 
cherries were made for eating by Go Diego. Uh, when Snow, when Blanche, should I say, gets Blanche. in his way on some stairs, he falls down the stairs into a bucket that spins him into the road where he nearly gets hit by a car. Honestly, when I first watched this, this really took me out of the film. I could not believe what I was seeing. This is so random. This is a little bit of slapstick. I mean, little did I know this would be the tone for like the rest of the film. Yeah. Um, but Particularly Mr. Togo. Oh my god, it is so out of nowhere. It's so funny. Yeah, the bucket gets stuck on his ass. It, it does. And the director's daughter starts smacking the bucket. Yeah. With some sticks. Yeah. He explains <laughs> to the girls he's unable to get to the train station to join them uh, because he's got to go to the doctors for, for his bucket. Um, so he's just leaving his pregnant sister then? They, they couldn't go and join this her, is, but he's yeah. just going to leave his pregnant sister this camping? A, but also, I'm confused as to why they needed him to go on a trip to Gorgeous's aunties. Like, it's a family member. I understand, you know, if they're going Yeah, camping, you'll fancy him. I know, but he's... <laughs> highly inappropriate, if you tell him, if you ask me. <clears throat> Um, yeah, no, he was going to join him, but he, yeah, he's got to get to the doctors now. Um, when they're on the train, uh, Blanche appears, waiting yeah. for them in a seat. And Gorgeous provides some exposition about her grandmother, her mother and her auntie, whilst Japan were at war. Yes. Her aunt's... I'm assuming World War Two. It's yeah. not specific, but I think timings, it would be World War Two. I think so, yeah. I think. Um, her aunt's fiancé died at war. And when her grandma died, she left the house to her aunt. Um, we see all of this through a flashback. But the girls can see it as well. <laughs> yes. And they provide a running commentary throughout the fucking flashback. They do. Like, they're laughing. Like, she's on about her grandmother dying and they're laughing along. <laughs> the men were so masculine then. <laughs> What, the one that died and left the aunt at the altar? <laughs> so we've got, uh, we understand we've got a little bit of a Miss Havisham yeah. um, moment with the aunt. She's uh, never married since, has she? So she's a bit of a spinster. She is, yeah. Well, I mean, you wouldn't think that to look at her. Isn't that scary? Um, oh, an unmarried woman. Scary. That's the true horror of this film. Well, they go on a, a, quite the journey it's, to get to the house. It's a really fucking long journey. They go across a long bridge uh, where we get little um, <laughs> introductions to all the characters' names. It's like the opening of a sitcom. It is. Uh, they go through a big forest, they pass some mountains, they meet a guy selling watermelons and give him a watermelon with a straw hat on it before finding the house. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite an adventure. Uh, but when they arrive there... They're greeted by um, Auntie in a wheelchair with uh, Blanche on her lap. Yes. Um, She's also wearing a Diane wig from Twin Peaks. She is. She is. Um, she's absolutely serving. She is. You could tell the she was played by someone probably a lot younger. <laughs> <laughs> but she's, abs she's still serving a look. She's given... She's got Blanche on her lap, but she's given Blanche from Coronation Street... <laughs> That's a bit harsh. She just says she's serving a lot. Like glamorous Blanche from Coronation Street. <laughs> okay. If she'd been yassified. Well, maybe. 
she got grey hair? She's in a wheelchair with glasses. Barely grey. It's like silver. It's okay, shiny. I'm going to argue over the colour of someone's hair from a film from 1977. Well, she is serving either way. Uh, the girls want a picture taken with her, but Blanche's eyes glow green and make the camera drop to the floor and smash. Mac, in whilst all this was going on, ran back to buy one of the watermelons as a gift Aww. to uh, to Auntie. Uh, to which one of the girls tells her, "Hey, it looks like you, Mac." <laughs> yes. Um. Let's get it out there. Mac is fat shamed on numerous occasions. Yeah. But very much in keeping with the Bridget Jones style of fat shaming, she is not overweight. No. Um. She's actually a healthy size, just not as thin as the people around her. <laughs> yes. Uh, not that you know that affects the film much because she she's not in it for long. Let's put it on. it's a it's a shame. Yes, they uh, in a bizarre series of events. Best one to go like like the entire film in a bizarre series of events. Uh, the girls <laughs> enter the house and the chandelier suddenly starts glowing various different lights, um, and then it drops part of it drops down, kills a lizard. Yeah, uh, one of the girls' hats flies off and never starts spinning around. And Kung Fu jumps up and stops any more parts of the chandelier from falling. Yeah, Kung Fu saves the day when the chandelier goes rogue. All within the space of about 20 seconds. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is our first glimpse into what Kung Fu... Well, it's our second glimpse after yeah. the football. But into what Kung Fu is capable of. Yeah. And uh, she's given me, you know... Kung Fu realness. Kung Fu realness. That's the idea of character. martial arts. She's, yeah. She's giving Mousy realness. It is Mousy. It is Mousy. Melody starts playing um, Auntie's grand piano for everyone. But she's giving Michelle Yeoh. That's what she's giving. Well, yeah. Um, Everyone goes on a tour of the home where they find various pictures of cats and a skeleton. Uh, this really scares Mac, who's now hungry because because she spotted a skeleton. Um, and Auntie explains she can't use the kitchen because it's a fucking state. So the girls offer to do all the cooking for her. I mean, the kitchen's still a state, girls. You, you're going to have to deal with it. But no, she can't cook in her current state. No, she in the wheelchair. The she was acting like the kitchen was a mess. No, she can't cook because she's in a wheelchair. I thought she meant the kitchen was a no, state. No, her current state. Well, I was going to say, my next note is how clean and tidy the kitchen is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's also lonely. Bless her, isn't she? She talks to everything in her house, even the oven. Yes. Probably the cat. That's probably what <laughs> she's talking to. But yeah, she talks to uh, inanimate objects. She does. Speaking of inanimate objects, Kung Fu opens a cupboard door. By uh, fly- <laughs> giving it a, uh, a flying kick. kick. <laughs> um, Auntie says to Mac, plump little Mac, you look good enough to eat. And uh, the girls leave Mac's watermelon in a well to keep it cold. Yeah, uh, Auntie shows the first of her sort of true colours, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Where she uh, tells Mac that she's good enough to eat. Um, yeah, another plump little man. Yeah, a bit of a bit more fat shaming. Um, I mean, it's this attitude's directed at one of the other girls, though. Uh, someone says, "When you take your glasses off, prof, 
you look even more beautiful. And she says, really? I can't see a thing about my specs. And goes, that's unlucky. <laughs> 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 you got to stay fucking ugly then if you can't see. As somebody who have made have put on a few pounds recently and wears glasses, I'm offended by this film. <laughs> I feel personally attacked by this film. Which character do you relate with the most? Um, Prof, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I obviously relate with Gorgeous the most. And I can't see. Oh, I thought you meant out of the two of them. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm the stepmother. Um, Mac later goes to retrieve the watermelon, but doesn't return. That's the last we see of Mac. Wow, kind well, of. Well, it's not. Part of her, anyway. Um, Fancy goes to retrieve the watermelon from the well, but she finds Mac's decapitated head instead. Yes. Which flies in the air and bites her on the arse before she escapes. Iconic. I can't do justice as to just how wonderful this scene is. Yeah. It's so fucking weird and and stupid. It is. But brilliant. Uh, by the way, whilst all this is going on, um, the scenery in the background behind uh, Auntie's house looks like a watercolour painting. It yes. Yeah. So, so, so beautiful. It's clearly filmed on some sort of set. Yeah. Isn't it? And it's not afraid... To show that it's filmed on a set. No, because it works in its favour. But it does. It works in its favour. Because they can do gorgeous sort of scenery, painting. Yeah. Uh, but what's going on in in front is so wacky. Yeah. And so just really, it, it's it's high camp. Yeah. And when it's not using the, you know, the painting look for backgrounds and such, there's a lot of uh, like neon lighting and stuff, which is... Very similar to what we what you had seen in Suspiria in the same year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm interested. I'd be curious to see which one was made first, but yeah, it, it really. I don't, I'm assuming that it's just a coincidence rather than one. Maybe yeah. Influence the yeah. other because obviously it's the same year, and also it's Japan and it's Italy. Yeah, you know, if yeah. it didn't reach America, then it definitely didn't reach Italy. Yeah, I mean, the colour scheme is very ahead of its time uh, with the neon lighting and such because really, I mean, it's only really had a resurgence over the past, what, 10 to 15 years mm -hmm. where films have started doing it again, like using neon lighting to that same sort of effect. Um, but yeah, it, it looks absolutely stunning. You, do you not agree? No, I completely no. agree, yeah. Um, the, <laughs> Hence why I've told you three different times that it looks stunning. <laughs> the uh, account, encounter with the head is initially disregarded by the other girls after they go back and find the watermelon there instead of Mac's head. Uh, Auntie can now mysteriously stand up. Doesn't need a wheelchair anymore. Uh, just like Spy Kids 3D. Because having the girls around gives her energy. <laughs> I have no idea. I've never seen it. Oh, well, hopefully, the just the term "Spy Kids" three D. They'll get the uh, they'll get the reference. The <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um, Pete, a big theme throughout the film is people not believing fantasy. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the issues occur because people don't believe fantasy. Uh, Auntie shows fantasy an eyeball in her mouth as they're eating the she watermelon. Does. Uh, I'm assuming the idea is that Mac has been 
Mac's head has mm-hmm. been transformed into a watermelon. Yes. And they're eating Mac. Uh, Prof unintentionally drinks some blood red water from the tap. Kung Fu protects herself from male- malevolent logs of wood. She does. <laughs> Some on fire as well. Yeah, there you go. She fights food. them. She chops she them does. up. And then she literally says, Oh, it must be my imagination. It must be my imagination. Be my imagination. <laughs> um, Gorgeous asks Fancy if she'd like to take a bath with her. <laughs> um, but she ends up taking it on her own. Yeah, uh, fantasies. She's doing. The, she's sweeping the floors. Yeah, she's cleaning the floors. Um, the actress who plays Gorgeous was uncomfortable about a nude scene in the film. So to make her more comfortable, Yoko Minamida, who plays Auntie, uh, who had never done a nude scene before, took off all of her clothes as well. Oh, okay. And after Abiyashi saw Minamida nude, he included a top topless scene for her in the film, which was not in the original script. Okay. I'm going to take advantage of that. 1977. Um, yeah, so whilst Gorgeous is in the bath, her hair goes, has a mind of its own, doesn't it? It does, yes. Which uh, makes for a great visual. Uh-huh. Um, really just, and, and all of it is, I mean, I, I, like I said, you know, we can't do justice just talking about it. But just like the flying logs on, of wood on fire and... Um, Gorgeous's hair sort of starting to like entwine around mm-hmm. her. It it just looks fantastic. Yeah. Um, Auntie has a dance around the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, Auntie disappears after entering a broken refrigerator, which only Fantasy sees. She then sort of appears <laughs> up near the ceiling on some uh, rafters. Uh, breaks the fourth wall. She does. By giving us a knowing glance to the camera. And then starts dancing. She makes her shoes fly into her hands. Yeah. Uh, dances with a skeleton. Yeah. Eats someone's hand. Has a drink. Throws some dead goldfish into a goldfish bowl, which brings them back to life. Eats half a goldfish. Eats half a goldfish. <laughs> and then has a laugh at uh, Blanche, who is meowing along to the main feet. Yes. <laughs> Good old Blanche. No idea. On the piano, singing along. Yeah, I have no idea what this scene's doing. Um, <laughs> who cares? It's amazing to look at. I suppose it's a bit... Uh, is she meant to be a ghost? Like a, well, she is meant to be a ghost, yeah. But like a... Um, was it... Um, Poltergeist's meant to be a bit... Yeah. Funky. I'd <laughs> way, it was just... So much fun to watch. So it's so weird, so wacky, and it, I suppose this is the comedy element as well. Yeah. It is a comedy. Oh yeah, it's listed as a yeah. comedy horror. Um, after this, the girls are attacked or possessed by a series of items in the house, such as Gorgeous becoming possessed after using her aunt's mirror, Sweetie disappearing after being attacked by mattresses, Melody um playing the piano whilst skeletons dance in the background. <laughs> Yeah, and the piano is, like, changing colour as uh, as she's playing it. She doesn't notice, obviously. Um, I loved the visual when uh, Gorgeous is in the mirror and the mirror cracks and drips blood. Yeah, this is a really shocking scene as well because Gorgeous is obviously made out to be main character. Yeah. She's the one we've got the most development for. She's the one who took them there. You know, this is her aunt's house. This is the one we're going to see through to the end. Surely this is going to be our final girl. Uh, but no, she is possessed with quite a bit of the film left. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and the visual here with where her eyes start bleeding and then the, her face cracks like a, like mirror pieces and she literally turns into fire. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and the the auntie appearing in the mirror. Yeah. As well. All of this is well. Blanche is always around when these things are happening, mm -hmm. and it's, it's Blanche emits bright green light from her eyes, which seems to be what is causing these things to happen. So it's definitely the cat. Yeah. If the poster didn't give it away, it's definitely the cat that is the malevolent uh, figure within the story. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Auntie, as well, but the cat is the main one. Um, Sweetie, her fate is kind of weird, isn't it? it? Kind of, yeah. Like attacked by mattresses. Attacked by mattresses. <laughs> just these mattresses fall in pillows. Feathers are flying, and we kind of see it partly from below. Yeah. So, like, obviously, in shooting the film, they've performed on on top of a glass, um, sort of floor or glass ceiling, and we're seeing it from below, which is a great visual. Mm -hmm. Um, bit, bit dirty. It, well, it's giving up skirting, isn't it? Really, it's well, a bit awkward. Yeah, like it, it's it, it's like cinematically, it's like oh, what an interesting angle. But also, it's like okay, you dirty bedroom, you know. Yeah, we know what you're going for here. Yeah, when they find the room after, um. All they can find is the mattresses um, ripped to pieces, uh, Sweetie's clothes, and a stripped doll. Yeah, uh, one of them does say, it looks like she's been doing a striptease act. Because <laughs> <laughs> only Sweetie's clothes are left, including a dress and her bra and yeah. and such. And yeah, that's Sweetie's next to go. Fantasy uh, starts fantasising about Mr. Togo taking her away on, the, on a horse. Yeah, Fantasy's getting worried, but she's assured that Mr. Togo, being their knight in shining armour, will be there soon to help them, because he's a man. Yeah. And I quote, because he's a man. Um, yeah, I, I never said this film was 100% progressive. I love the film, but it's definitely not. Hey, hang on, he doesn't know. He doesn't save them. No, he doesn't. He's a moron. Yeah, I mean they all die. Yeah, but As still, said, no, no one saves. But them. they do try and fight for themselves. Yeah, of course. You know, they're not really. When it comes down to, I mean, yeah, they push kung fu first most of the time, but they're not all wimps. Yeah, down to but they push kung fu first because kung fu is repeatedly described as manly. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, the girls uh, agreed to phone the police. Gorgeous volunteers to make the call. And we, the audience, can hear people in danger on the other side of the phone. But Gorgeous Tarzan was no connection. Yeah, are you? Were you not getting a bit of Black Christmas from that phone call? Yeah, I mean, I think because of the sound design, it would be in the seventies and it being a phone call is probably why it sounded so similar. But... Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's incoherent. You can't yeah make out what they're saying. But it's giving me Black Christmas vibes. Mm -hmm. Uh, the girls try to escape the house, but after Gorgeous is able to leave through a door to supposedly go to the police station, mm. the rest of them find themselves locked in, whilst Gorgeous performs a song outside with a smoke machine to the tune of the main theme song. It's given me a real music video Bonnie moment. Tyler. It's given me Bonnie Tyler, dry ice. Um, she starts juggling some bright purple orbs at one <laughs> point. 
Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. And again, you know, it's very commercial. You can see, like, commercial music video. You can see uh, the director's history there on yeah. the screen. And one of the girls says, this is just like a horror film that's out of date. And Kung Fu says, no, it's a karate film. And tries kicking the doors down, but it's no use. <laughs> Uh, the girls try to find the aunt to unlock the door, but uh, discover Max's severed hand yes. in a jar instead. Uh, so now they start believing shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Melody begins to play the piano to keep the girls' spirits up, and they hear Gorgeous singing upstairs. They do. She gone to the police. Um, as Prof and Kung Fu go to investigate, Melody's fingers are bitten off by the piano, and it ultimately eats her whole. Excuse me? Hole. It eats a hole. A hole. W H O L E. W H O L E. <laughs> well, I suppose if it eats a hole, it eats a hole. Um, <laughs> I love how when her fingers are bitten off, she's just like, "Oh, they're gone." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it takes uh, it biting off her hand. Yeah. For her to go. Ah. Uh, such a wacky death scene. It is so so weird, so over the top. We keep seeing parts of her body being chewed up by yeah. the piano and it's and, and when i say that i don't mean it's not gory at all it's what how would you describe the effect it's almost like a collage yeah yeah it's it's really weird it's it is weird to explain the fact there's that there's got to be a word yeah. for it the fact that there's not much gore in the scene where this person's been eaten by a fucking piano but it, it's like Parts of a picture have been superimposed yeah. onto yeah. another picture. Uh -huh. So it's very, you know, stylish in that sense, but obviously fakey. So yeah. we're not going for realism here. This isn't Saw 6. Um, but it's so over the top and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's probably one of my favourite death scenes from the film. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, meanwhile, upstairs in the house, Kung Fu and Prof find Gorgeous wearing a bridal gown, who then reveals her auntie's diary to them. Kung Fu allows, uh, follows Gorgeous as she leaves the room, only to find Sweet's body trapped in a grandfather clock. Oh. And you know, speaking of great visuals, I mean, this is unbelievable. This is actually unbelievable. And this is gory. Yeah. And the gore, the colour of the blood is used towards the cinematography, and it's just so ridiculously stylish and... It's just amazing. Yeah. It's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Um, it's hard to describe. I mean, she's in a grandfather clock and blood yeah. starts pouring. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, yeah. Another fantastic visual. The remaining girls barricade the upper part of the house whilst Prof, Fancy and Kung Fu read the aunt's diary. And this is intertwined with a scene in a ramen shop. With uh, Mr. Togo. Yes. The characters at this ramen shop are a parody of the Tora-san series, uh, which is one of Japan's longest and most popular film series. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Wow, that's in a file. Um, but back in the house... I mean, not a lot goes on in that scene, but back in the house... It's very much... The, the Mr. Togo scenes are very much... They much... Whoa. They very much remind me of uh, Last House on the Left, mm -hmm. but not as jarring or as stupid. No. It's in keeping with the theme, you know, it's a comedy horror, whereas 
if you remember the policeman yeah, yeah. In, in Last House on the left, it was really didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It was very jarring where I feel like they're going for a similar thing here. Um, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, back in the house, they're interrupted by uh, the giant sized head of Gorgeous who reveals that her aunt died many years ago waiting for her fiancé to return from World War II Ooh. and that her spirit remains eating unmarried girls who arrive at her home. Which really cracked me up because, okay, so you're telling me that her auntie is saying, wait, you're not good enough to lock some dick down, you're fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's... You can't keep him down and you can't get a ring on it. Fucking, you're you're getting it. And it also says girls of marriable age. Yeah, like these are in school. They just yeah. They're not getting married, are they? <laughs> like it, it's. I don't know how old they're, they're meant too to be. Young to get married, but they're in school. Yeah. Um. So surely they're too young to get married. So this is like really shaming shaming them. Like, oh my god, you haven't left school and you're not married. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you repel penis? <laughs> the three girls are attacked by household items. But it, it's sorry, just to go back onto that with with the aunt. It's in keeping with the theme of uh, like Kurineko, mm-hmm. where it's the wronged woman, yeah, and the spirit of the cat. Um, you know, sort of being almost like a vessel for yeah the wronged woman. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. She's not that wronged. Really, but um, she's feeling a certain kind of way. She is. But I'm like, he died. Like, sorry, you know, he didn't. He didn't, you know, leave you for another woman. He died mm-hmm. in in the war. Yeah, you know, get over it. Find yourself another man. <laughs> um, no, I mean, why do that when you could turn your house into a giant supernatural trap to exactly. kill off girls that can't get a man? <laughs> exactly. Um, the three remaining girls are attacked by household items. Uh, Kung Fu fights them off, including the phone, uh, as she tries to call for help. And then she launches into a fight with uh, Possessed Gorgeous. Yeah, this is where Kung Fu is full-on queen mode. Yeah. She's had enough. She's fighting inanimate objects. She's fighting invisible objects. She's fighting a possessed gorgeous. She pauses to grab an umbrella when they tell her to call someone. She's like, leave it to me. Yeah, she does. She does. Yeah. Definitely. Um, But, unfortunately, as Kung Fu lunges into a flying kick, she's eaten by a possessed light fixture. (laughs) Kung Fu's legs manage to escape and damage the painting of Blanche on the wall, which in turn kills Blanche physically. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. two queens there. <laughs> R.I.P. Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. And R.I.P. Blanche. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, because the other girls realise that Blanche needs to be killed um, in order to try and put a stop to all of this. Yes. Um, and yeah, it makes with some iconic imagery when the portrait of Blanche just spurts blood everywhere and causes a room to flood. Yeah, yeah. And the sort of collage of uh, Kung Fu's body parts flying through yes. the air as yeah. well. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, Mr. Togo, Mr. Togo is trying to find the house and comes across the watermelon man, uh, who then turns into a skeleton and falls apart. Yeah, uh, there's a wacky bit of dialogue here where Mr. Togo doesn't like watermelons, he likes bananas. And the guy seems 
surprised that he likes bananas. I mean, I'm not really sure what's going on too much in this scene. Um, but then he turns into a skeleton and Mr. Togo goes back to his vehicle and is very surprised. And so, but it's kind of, it's almost like a YouTube poop moment. Yeah. Where it keeps repeating the same uh-huh. thing where he's like flustered at this guy turning into a skeleton. Uh-huh. It's almost, there are a lot of scenes in this film that are a bit YouTube poopish, aren't they? That's one way to describe well, it. Well, we love YouTube <laughs> poop, so it's not a, it's not a diss. Um, but this is the last we see of Mr. Togo, so I don't have the shock of... Uh... Are we... Are we um... No, this is it. Yeah, we see what remains of him. Do we? In a bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I well, that. I'll uh, I'll let you know when we get there. Um, Prof tries to read the diary, but a jar with teeth pulls her into the blood where she dissolves, and according to the director... This is the first Japanese film to use video effects, which is applied in this scene um, through low fidelity video and a simple chroma key effect. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have no idea what you just said, but it sounds impressive. Yeah. Um, for some reason, Prof's clothes are the first to dissolve. Of course, they're the first to dissolve. Yes. Uh, Vancy sees Gorgeous in the bridal gown and paddles towards her. So again, you know, after all this, it's clear that Gorgeous isn't Gorgeous anymore. But fantasy still trying to get to her. Yeah. Um. She sweet, sweet fantasy. She yeah. She appears as her aunt in the reflection in the blood, and then cradles fantasy with with one tit out. She does. Yeah. So it's almost like a motherly sort of image mm. now. Um. I think that obviously, the aunt has possessed gorgeous completely. Yeah. Um, Gorgeous's eyes glow green like Blanche's, mm-hmm. and we know that fantasy isn't out of the woods. Yeah. Um, we then cut to the morning, and Ryoko arrives. Um, Looking like she's entering a model photo shoot. D- again, uh, with, the, with the wind machine, she's absolutely serving yet again. She arrives at the house and finds Gorgeous in a classic kimono. Gorgeous tells Ryoko that her friends will wake up soon because they'll be hungry. She then shakes hands with Ryoko and burns her away to nothing. Mm -hmm. Another fantastic visual. Now, Ryoko, she gets there the same way as everybody else. So did you notice that she parks at what used to be the watermelon shop? Yeah. And did you see Mr. Togo's vehicle? Oh, okay. It's completely filled with bananas. Yeah. So Mr. Togo has been turned into a a massive (laughs) dozens bunch of bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, really strange ending. I mean, everyone dies. Yeah. Everyone dies. Even Ryoko. The only person who doesn't die is the dad. Yeah. And, and who knows, you know, he might go search mm-hmm. and find the same. Um, very, I was surprised. I suppose I'm used to slasher films. Yeah. With a final girl. But I was quite surprised that everyone dies in this film. Yeah. Uh, well, well, even gorgeous, really. I mean, she's possessed. But what's weird about this is that technically, if any other film, this would be a really bleak ending that absolutely nobody survives. Yeah. But it ends... Um, with a monologue about the enduring nature of love. Yeah, yeah. So it's the auntie's voice that speaks it over a um, voiceover. And it says that even after the flesh perishes, the spirit of a person lives on forever in the hearts of others. 
Therefore, the story of love must be told many times over so that the spirits of lovers may live forever. Eternal life, the one thing in this world that can never perish, is a single promise, a promise of love. Yeah. And yeah. then in the end credits, uh, rolling over, um, the actually plays gorgeous, like out of character and having a nice time. Uh, whilst Yes, I Thank You by Go Diego plays. Yeah. So it, it it's, I mean, it's strange from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And again, open for interpretation. Yeah. I, I think, which is makes a, a great film. Um, but it's an experience, I think, more mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. It's wacky, yes, but visually stunning. Is it completely out there that you don't know what the hell's going on? No. I, d- I don't think so. No. You you can kind of tell. It's a haunted house film. Yeah, it's a haunted house film. These girls are being killed off in wacky and visually pleasing ways. Mm. You know, it's over the top. Uh, but the characters are really likeable. It's got heart to it. And, you know, it can have a message about love. Mm-hmm. If you want it to. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, just, I just think it's amazing. Yeah. I, really I just yeah. so entertain. It's entertainment. It is. This it's is a everything I want in a film. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's just perfect for yeah. me. I, I really... I can't find any flaws in it whatsoever. It's just... just Everything I could want in a film just secured into an hour and 28 minutes. Mm, absolutely. You know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It gives you absolutely everything you could want from it. Uh, if this is your sort of film, and if you don't like weird films, this, this isn't going to change your mind. But if you don't mind a bit of surrealism and lots of camp, this is this is your film. It, oh, my God. It's so camp. So camp. It's the kind of film you just need to allow to happen. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're discussing it on the podcast, but try not to question too much. No. Uh, something I've maybe been a little guilty of in the past during podcast episodes is trying to find reason in mm-hmm. things. Don't. Just let the film happen and just enjoy the ride. Yeah. So let's get to the awards. Yes. Biggest queen. There's only one choice. It's it's obviously Kung Fu. It's Kung Fu. Yeah. R.I.P. Queen. Yeah. I was shocked when Kung Fu died. Uh-huh. On the first watch. Because I thought she was going to be our final girl. Yeah. She could... No match for anything apart from a lampshade. Yeah. She's breaking down gender roles. Yeah. She can be as feminine or as manly as she wants. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Queen. Biggest gasp. I Genuinely, there's so many scenes that could... Go for this, uh, but I'm going to go with a chaotic chandelier scene because that's yeah. the, the first scene that really just took me by surprise. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree that so much could be biggest gasp. But I went for the uh, piano chewing of melody. Yeah. Uh, best dialogue I've got: "When you take your glasses off, Prof, you look even more beautiful." Really, I can't see a thing about my specs. That's unlucky. <laughs> I've uh, uh, looks like she's been doing a striptease act, <laughs> <laughs> and that's camp. Another award that could go to anything in this fucking film, uh, but I had to go with all three of Ryoko's scenes with her wind machines and amazing <laughs> outfits. Yes, that's very true. I went for Max decapitated head biting fantasy's ass. 
<laughs> That's high count. It is. It is. Uh, ratings, I give it 10 dead queens murder because they can't secure a bit of dick out of 10. <laughs> I gave it 10 decapitated head biting asses out of 10. Uh, masterpiece, trash to piece, trash or basic. It is indeed, happy to say, for a first podcast of a year, a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It really is. It's everything I want in a film. This time last year we are discussing full eclipse. What 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 a way we've come. Just up in a year. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's available on Blu-ray, video on demand, and BFI player. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out the original Suspiria because it's also filled with older women. Look, older women. Women that look older than they sound um, because they're all talking like children. And it's also got the neon lighting and weirdness. And yes. Yeah. Um, I uh, I believe if you enjoyed this, you should check out the happiness of the Katakuris, yeah. uh, another really wacky out there Japanese film with a real sort of Japanese sensibility to it. And I think if if you can, you know, deal with the absurdness of House, then Happiness of the Katakuris is a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're already a fan of House, though, let us know on social media. We're Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazman205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And we're now only a month away from announcing our lineup and putting tickets on sale for Gasp Horror Film Festival. For those who are not familiar, although we mention it every week, it's a horror festival we've created dedicated entirely to minority filmmakers, and you can check it out on social media on Gasp Horror Fest yes. across everything. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. Next week, Japanuary continues with a double episode week. <gasps> First up on Tuesday, we have a double bill of Lady Snowblood and Lady Snowblood 2 Love Song of Vengeance. Now, if we're talking about queens, yes. I don't think there's a bigger queen in Japanese cinematic history than Miko Kashi. Yeah. yeah. It won't be around the appearance on the podcast this month either. I know, right? And on Friday next week, it is Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. So we're going back to America for one episode <laughs> and discussing Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. Oh, that's... One of our favourite sequels as well. So it at is. least it's a good one. Yes. If it's going to disturb Japanuary, it better be a good yeah. one. And look yeah. at it is. But we'll see you same time, same place on Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday. <laughs> Bye.